Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friend, we're going to go to the mailbag again. And um, I'm always trying to be mindful that some people have no idea what they're talking about. And that their questions are based on false beliefs about the world. And so it's very difficult to not insult people when you're answering questions where the question doesn't make any sense. Myself, I basically believe that what you do is you just call question to the premise, that the premise is wrong. And if you can call question to the premise and say, hey, look, you've got a question here that's based on a premise that isn't true, then you can go back and try to answer the question based on a corrected premise. Now, most people don't want to hear that because they don't want their, their premises, their belief system to be challenged. And so that's how you end up getting people irritated and get people mad at you is because you're basing your point on a premise that they don't like. So I've got a bunch of emails here today, and I'll just sort of we'll go through them and see what we can pick out of them. Like always, I read emails one sentence at a time, one paragraph at a time, whatever i got to do to pull it apart to make a point, because the points are in the details of the question, the details of the email. They're not in just the general question. The question is never the most interesting point of an email. So the first one says, hello, I've always listened to your show, and now I will do that soon. Now, think about that statement right there. Whoever wrote this to me, I'm reading it back to you directly as you wrote it to me, and think of the premise behind that statement. Hello, I've always listened to your show, period, and I know I will do that soon, period, but family. Now, those are incoherent statements right there. I think what they mean is I've listened to your show and I want to do what you're talking about, but I can't because my family won't let me. I think that's what they're saying. But I just want you to understand that as I work through communication with other people, some of the thought processes that these people go through, you can't follow. Okay? goes on and says, I have a property shared with my sister. I need help on deciding either to take a loan to build on the backyard of the property or to purchase another property. I have seen, parentheses, always travel around the Bay Area, parentheses, properties here are so expensive. Okay, now let's take that sentence and tear it apart. He owns a property with his sister. I don't know what nationality you are. I don't know what religion you are. I don't know anything about you. But where I come from and what my experience says is, I would never buy a property with my sister. Why would I own something with my sister? What is the benefit of owning with your sister? Now, I've seen it happen to people. 
that they get into business with a family member because a parent leaves a piece of property to one or two or more children, tenants in common, meaning that everybody owns the property, meaning that nobody can do anything with the property unless everybody else agrees. Meaning, the lowest common denominator of the human being in that group, of a human being in that group, is going to be the person that makes a decision, because they have the power to say no. This is an absolutely terrible way to own anything, and I specifically wouldn't own it with a sister or a brother. Why would you own something with a family member? I could see owning it with your husband or wife. I could see owning it with your kid. But why a brother or sister? That's a completely different family. Now, those of you from different nationalities and different religions, it's not everything that's yours, is your brother's, is your sister's. I get that, but that's you. But I've seen it time and time and time again where family members have destroyed anything. I got an email the other day from a guy. It was so unbelievable. I had to have him tell me the story. I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm not going to tell you what the email he sent me. I'm just going to tell you the story. The story is... He let his brother come over from another country and stay with him. His brother stayed with him for a while and went back and forth between countries so that he wouldn't lose his citizenship. And then he decided he was going to buy a new house, a rent house, and he bought a rent house. And he let his brother, or I don't know if it's even his brother, he wouldn't even say if it was a family, he insinuated as a family member or a very close friend, but he let them stay in the rent house. And... Then he got in a fight with his wife, because his wife and him didn't get along. So they went through a divorce, and he tried to cheat his wife out of not getting the property by giving the property over to his brother. Again, I said, brother, I don't even know if it's a brother. I'm sorry. I keep saying that. In my brain, it's a brother, right? And by doing that, he's thinking, okay, it's not in my name now, so my wife can't get to it. So here he is trying to keep himself from losing something by cheating somebody, okay? So what happens? This person puts a giant lien on the property so that there's no value to it. In other words, the lien is higher than the value of the property. So the thing just passes right out of divorce and he doesn't lose it. Until he figures out later that the guy and him, whoever this is, the guy is, got in a fight. He said the guy started the fight, so he had an excuse in his mind to take advantage of him. And then what he did was he sued him for the property, saying it was his, and he took it away from him because there was a lien against it. So now he has this house. The guy's lost his wife, he's lost half of whatever else he owns in the world, and now he lost this paid in full, pretty expensive home. These things happen all the time. I'm not even trying to make a point out of that guy. I mean, that's just so messed up, it's pitiful. But it's the people closest to you that are going to rip you off. It's not the outside world. This, this is people getting ripped off by those closest friends and family. That's why I would never go into business with a brother or sister. I've seen, I, I dated a girl one time. She had like five siblings. They owned, parents died and left them a house. And they fought over this house. One of them wanted to live in it and did live there for free. The others were all supposed to pay taxes, but they wouldn't. So the one that was smart paid the taxes so they wouldn't lose the house. Um, they wanted to rent it out, but they wouldn't. The others wouldn't let it be rented out, and they wanted to sell it. One, they wanted to sell it so they could get the money and split the money, and they, one of them wouldn't do it because they wanted to live there. Another one didn't want to get rid of the house because it was Dad's house, and it was so emotionally attached to it. So the house sat there and rotted away. No one maintained it. No one cared. 
No money was made off of it. The father destroyed his asset by leaving it to all his kids. So in this particular case, I'd tell him save up his money, buy something outside of that city by himself would be what I would suggest. Next email says, hey, Dell, have you done any radio shows that discuss the difference between a good tenant and somewhat good, somewhat good tenants? I know the background and credit check information is key, but wouldn't there be some distinction between the good and the very good tenants? My wife and I are relatively new investors. We own a duplex and single-family house. I think she might be confusing good with perfect. With the difference of $100 per month one way or the other, assuming we're cash flowing 600 plus already, affect whether we get good, better, or best tenants. All right, there's a lot in this email, man. So let's start with this. First of all, yes, the price makes a difference because if your price is too high, the only people will apply for your place are Purple Martians. Purple Martians are people that you know, and I know, and we all know. We can't call them by what race, age, sex, nationality, or anything else. That would be prejudice uh, and would, would be discrimination. So we call them Purple Martians. And when you meet a Purple Martian, no matter what color he is, no matter what race he is, no matter what nationality he is, no matter what language he speaks, you know a Purple Martian. They're the kind of person that don't care about anybody but themselves. They all want to just take advantage of everybody else. They want something for nothing. They want your something. They want you to give it to them. They want to destroy it. That's just who they are. So we start with the basis of we can't tell by what a person looks like if they're a purple Martian or not, but you can sometimes tell by looking at their history. In fact, most times you can tell by looking at their history because they leave clues. They leave a trail of destruction behind them. So if they've got bad credit, you don't want them. Bad credit says, I don't pay my bills. I make promises. I will pay this car payment. I didn't. I will pay this rent. I didn't. I will pay off this loan. I didn't. Uh, they just don't do what they say they're going to do. So the bottom line is they got bad credit. You don't want to rent to them. Secondly, if they've got broken leases, it's typical. It, there's a thing called bad landlord's disease. Bad landlord is when everybody tells you, oh, I had to get out of there because the landlord was terrible. Well, that's bad landlord disease. And guess what? It's contagious. The next thing they'll do is break out of your lease and tell everybody the next place they go that you were bad. Then you have to be able to afford the place. So they got to be able to make at least three times what the rent is. And you have to be able to prove that. Right? There's got to be a way to prove it. There's, there's ways to prove out income, right? Bank statements, there's all kinds of ways to prove out income. And you know, you might need two or three of them tied together to actually prove it out. Okay? Now let's say these, that your tenants pass all those things. Okay? Now you're at a next level. And the next level is people are people. So people, some people are dirty and some people are clean. You go, is there a difference between a, a good renter and a great tenant? Yes, a great tenant is clean. A great tenant doesn't break things. A good tenant, though, pays the rent and lives like just every normal person out there in the world, get things dirty, break things. But as a tenant, they don't own the home. You do. And so you've got to look at that situation and say, am I getting enough of a security deposit to protect myself from whatever damages they may do? And am I inspecting the house uh, you know, at least once a year to see if they've done any damages, and if so, charging them for those damages before I let them have another year on the lease, et cetera? Uh, but other than that, 
you really can't tell a great tenant until you've had one. And at the end of all that, then boom. Now, if you could, by lowering the rent another $100, find a way to prove out the difference between a good tenant and a great tenant, it probably would be worth it. But there's no way. Because like I said, you can prove out a bad tenant from a good tenant, but you can't prove out a good tenant from a great tenant because you'd have to look inside. In fact, the only way I've ever heard it explained was somebody told me one time that they go and they look at where they used to live. Now, that's that's pretty aggressive right there. <laughs> Another person told me they look at their car. Now, that one's might be relative. You know, if you got a relevant, they got a perfectly spotless car, then probably a perfectly spotless person. But other than that, do your, do your checks and uh, don't discriminate. Okay? Next one says, all the passive income from rental properties is tax free, says Dell repeatedly. Is this true? Some passive income is tax deferred due to depreciation, but all this will be taxed when the property is sold. Saying the income is tax free is repeated by his underlings, too. So here's a person complaining. Let's see what his name is. Okay. Here's a person complaining. And this is an interesting point. In life, when you can't figure out how to do something, and this do something is get rich. This guy can't figure out how to get rich, and he can't figure out how to pay low taxes. So, in his mind, it's all got to be a scam. When we come back, I'll take a very good period of time to explain to you why it's not. We'll be right back with the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. There's a dream killer here somewhere today. You're going to run into somebody that's going to tell you this stuff doesn't work. Like Vinette said, it's a scam. This is probably a multi-level marketing program. Somebody is going to tell you it doesn't work because you're the wrong race, the wrong age, the wrong sex, the wrong sexual preference, the something or other. And this is all set up so rich people can be successful and all you poor people can't. And if you believe that, they've won. But if you don't, you win. Don't believe the dream killers. Start winning today with the Lifestyles Unlimited free workshop. Get the knowledge you need to replace your income in two to five years and then find out how to take action. Register for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're doing emails, and um, we had one here that, uh, before we went to break, I read, it said, all passive income from rental properties is tax-free, says Dell Wamsley. It is, is this true? Goes on, says, passive income is tax-deferred due to depreciation, but all this uh, will be taxed when the property is sold, saying income is tax-free repeatedly by uh, the underlings is also being said. 
here's here's the reality of what's going on here is that this situation where real estate can be depreciated allows for a paper deduction on your tax return. And you can write this depreciation off against your rental income from your real estate, one for one for as much of it is. So you could actually earn as much income from real estate as you could want to and not pay any income taxes on it. Now, we're not paying income taxes on it because we're using depreciation to offset that income tax. Now, we'll get to the deferred part in a second here. You also have to understand we're not paying Social Security tax, nor are we paying Medicare tax, because we don't pay those taxes on real estate. Rental income doesn't pay that. So, all we have to worry about is the income from the from rental income and income from capital gains. Now, here's where it really gets complicated, and this is why the guy can't understand it, and it just blows his mind. If you are a real estate professional, you're basically saying you work in the business of real estate, and to qualify for that, you have to earn at least half of your income from real estate investing, and you have to work at least 750 hours in the business. Now, being that real estate is considered passive by nature, and that's why you don't pay Social Security and Medicare tax, the very fact that we are now admitting we work in the business is really contradictory because we still don't pay Social Security and Medicare tax, but we're working in and on our business of real estate, at least 750 hours a year. But if we do qualify as a real estate professional, then we can write off all the depreciation we have, no matter how excess it is, against all of our income buckets. And so, we literally can use that depreciation towards our earned income. Now, it only happens if you fall into a very, very small category of people. For example, if you earn your money in real estate through being a passive investor, that is not an active investor, right? You have to work in your business at least 750 hours a year, and it has to earn half of your income from real estate. And so, you can't use excess depreciation. You can still use the depreciation that covers your income from your rental properties, but you can't use the excessive excess depreciation unless you fall into that category of making under $100,000 a year and take a, uh, participate in the $25,000 uh, allotment you can have if you make less than $100,000 a year. All right? Now, let's take it one step further. He's saying, but once you sell this property, you have to recapture that depreciation. And when you recapture that income, you then pay taxes on that income. That would be true if one of two things were not true. Number one, I'm in the 42% tax bracket. So, if I were to use depreciation to offset income taxes, I would have paid 42% on that dollar of taxes. But if I sell the property and then recapture that depreciation, I only have to pay 25% on that income. So, it actually drops the amount of income taxes I pay on the money, even after I sell it. But wait, I don't have to sell the property. 
I can hold on to the property as long as I want. And if I want to sell the property, I could sell it and do something called a 1031 tax-free exchange, where I sell this property and take all those gains that I've not paid taxes on and roll them into the next property. And I could keep that property on and on and on forever, or 1031 it into another property. And in essence, never pay the taxes. So, well, what happens then when you die? Do you, do you, do you, does your family pay the taxes? No. Unlike when your family inherits your 401k or they inherit stocks and bonds, they have to pay taxes. Whatever taxes are owed on that money, they have to pay. But in real estate, what happens is they get the property on what's called a stepped-up basis. All of those income taxes that were never paid are not due. They just go away. They just disappear. And the property's new value is whatever the property's worth the day the family inherits the property. So, this gentleman is very frustrated by that. Because, number one, he probably can't understand that tax law. It's very complex. I mean, for me to teach it, is difficult. And I haven't taught in a while, so it's even more difficult because I used to be very sharp on the issue, but the bottom line is a very, very complex issue. So he's upset about the fact that he doesn't understand it, and he's upset about the fact that he can't do it. So it doesn't work for him. And so he wants to point the finger at me and say, I'm lying, that I'm misrepresenting the facts saying that real estate can be tax-free, okay? There's an old saying we use. It's called the three Ds to not paying income taxes on real estate income. Defer, defer, and die. Don't pay it. Roll it forward. Roll it forward. Roll it forward. Die. And those taxes never get paid. So, my friend... I know that makes you very upset, but just the way it is. Let's see if we got a short one here coming in on a break. Next one is, reportedly LUI has about 50,000 members. You mentioned the fastest way to retire is by being a lead. The slowest way is via passive approach. What percentage of the 50,000 members actually retire in two to five years as passives? truly believe that success in LUI as a passive is mainly based on how much money you have to begin with. It would be nice to survey all the members accurately to actually see how many have retired in the advertised two to five years as a passive. I am a passive, and I'm just curious about the timeline. I understand that lead can achieve this goal in two to five years, but I don't see how I can retire in two to five years as a passive. It would be nice if you were transparent with the actual statistics pertaining to the passive and how long an average person takes to retire. All right, here again is an irritated individual. This is even a member, so I'm talking about a member now. He's irritated because he doesn't see him getting as rich as he wants to be as fast as he wants to be. But there's some perceptions that he doesn't understand. One of the perceptions he doesn't understand is that retirement is when you have enough money to live on. In our book, when you can equal or exceed your expenses. Many times you have people that have no money. And I don't know this guy. So, 
we'll just figure out that he can call, he can email me back and tell me more about the story if he wants. But the bottom line is, many people don't have any money saved up. Because why? Because they spend all their money. They live at a very high cost of living. And if you live at a very high cost of living, it's going to be very difficult for you to replace that high cost of living, especially if you don't have any money to invest. All right. Next one says, just wanted to say thank you for reading, uh, answering my questions the other day on the air and being honest that you don't have lenders that can lend to people like me uh, that look at risk. And now as a result of that risk have not good credit, but I'm now almost at the point after 10 years of waiting, my credit will be uh, restored soon. And I think I'll possibly join your group with utmost respect. I am one who stated you were just hot air on the radio, but I wanted to clarify this, for example, because Sunday morning I was watching a morning church program where a minister had people in wheelchairs that more people with very serious health issues being cured instantly by the touch of the hand. But if it were really happening, why would anyone go to hospital when there is a minister on TV in a huge coliseum with more than 100,000 people all being cured with one touch, and now you're all better because you wanted to believe? If it were really true, would there still be hospitals? On the same broadcast, you talked about how you make everything new so you will have no maintenance issues. But that sounds very expensive and wanted to know if you recommend using or not using home warranty and why. Because to me, changing a working water heater is very expensive. Also, changing the zinc ion rods and cleaning the gas combustion chamber with a vacuum in the water heater will make your heater last a lot longer than 10 years and two days. All right, folks, here's what you got here. I'll answer the guy's question. I don't use warranties because it's an insurance policy and the insurance company is making money off of you. In other words, they're not paying out as much as they're taking in. Just be your own insurance policy. Now, having said that, that's the answer to the question. I don't use it. Now, let's go back and take a little look-see. This gentleman's all about getting in there and cleaning his own water heaters. And he's worried about what a water heater costs because they're expensive. And all that just goes to show that this person has a middle class to low class attitude about life. In other words, he's stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. I don't worry about water heaters. Right? I worry about buying my next house so I make more money, or buying my next apartment building so I make more money, or buying my next grocery store so I make more money. I'm all about making more money and letting the money pay for the maintenance and the repair, not me doing it. If I would have continued to do that, there's no way I could have got up to over 100 houses. Wouldn't have happened. I couldn't maintain all the houses. When I first started, I tinkered with them, I took care of them, I maintained them myself, and I kind of found some joy in that. You know, being handy and excuse to buy tools and gave me something to do when I didn't have, you know, I quit my job. But man, that got old really quick. And so you can just see this guy is stuck in that low class mentality. And he's thinking in the low class mentality. Right now, he says fixing everything is too expensive. We build all that into the property. When we buy a property, we buy it at a a cost that's low enough that we can rebuild everything that needs to be redone, make everything new again so that it won't break for about 10 years. 
But we fix all that, and we make it nice. Best product, best price. And he can't see that because he's looking at it from buying a house himself, putting 20% down, and then putting another 10 or 20 or 30% in, $20,000 or $30,000 in rehab. We're buying a $200,000 house for $150,000. We're doing $30,000 in rehab. And when we're all done, we own it for $180,000, and it's worth $200,000. We've made $20,000. It didn't cost us a lot to remodel the house. It cost us nothing. The house paid for remodeling itself. And if you don't get that, then you don't get what we're doing. And one of the things I find is really difficult, I used to get really upset about this and make a big point out of it, but nowadays I'm just too old to, to care that hard anymore about people believing I'm right or wrong. It just doesn't matter. Uh, but the thing is, is that people don't want to listen. What they want to do is take two words out of your sentence and two words out of somebody else's sentence and two words out of somebody else's sentence and take all these different ideas they've accumulated from all these people that don't know squat about what they're doing, throw them in on top of your ideas, my ideas, and then want to know why they don't work. They don't work because you're not using the entire system. It's the system that works, not one little partial piece of the system. I've seen people who are in real estate for 10 or 20 years come take the seminar and go, man, I've done it wrong my entire life. And yet, in real estate, it's so forgiving, I still made money. But my gosh, can I even imagine how much money I would have made if I just would have followed your system? That's the reality there. And so, today, I hope you can see these emails. I've got four or five more. I'd like to maybe do another one of these. But um, there's people out there that just are not in the position to understand and to believe what we teach. Hope you had a good day. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past your podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.